Every time we start these, we go, oh, it's been a long time since we did this. It's like everyone is like, it's been a long time since we did this. It's like we just need to tell the people, stay subscribed. Something pops up. It might pop up in two weeks, three months. Who knows? Will always be a pleasant surprise. Exactly. Exactly. It is, uh, you know, what is it? It is inconsistent conditioning. What is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Well, what is it? What is it? You know, with conditioning, it's like gambling. It is uh, the the weirdest, more oddest times that you get the reward. The more likely it is you're you're going to keep playing and playing and uh, playing and that's playing. That's right. That you're going to keep doing it. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what we're doing. Be addicted to us, please. <laughs> Jason. Yes. What do you think you could do with that? Oh, plenty. Plenty, 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 plenty. Sean, how are you feeling? I'm. I feel really good. I get to do cardiac rehab, and uh, I'm very lucky. And I'm definitely. I mean, I'm definitely the most fit person out of the seventy-somethings that are doing cardiac <laughs> rehab. So I'm, I'm really impressive. I, I, I could last longer on the elliptical than anyone. It's really, it's a lot of fun. We should remind everybody that Sean had his legs replaced. <laughs> That's right. So stupid. <laughs> What's going on there, Sean? Oh, I think we did. We not go over this. I had a, a, a aortic valve replacement, and they put in an artificial valve, and I feel great. It's been four months. But it's uh, clicky. Click, click. I'm like the TikTok croc. It's crazy. I think everybody should listen to the Tin Man's Heart for a moment. If you want to put your uh, put your microphone right there, Shawnee, let's hear it. Everybody ready? Here we go. Do you feel good? You feel good? You feel healthy? I feel extremely good. I feel very fortunate that they caught it, and I've been in rehab and recovery, and I feel great. And um, it's fun to be not only back to life, but to getting back to doing new episodes of the show. And Dana showed up today, even though she got the COVID. I got the COVID. Ugh. Again. I will say my symptoms aren't horrible. I just feel like I have a cold. So if that's what the vaccination did for me, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I have asthma and I'm not having any breathing problems. So that's really awesome. I just am really stuffy and tired and I can't stop blowing my nose and every once in a while I have a coughing fit. Well, that's just Dana on a good day. So oh, listen, listen, it's instead of pointing out everything that's wrong with typhoid Mary, we should move <laughs> along and we should just quickly get this going because boy, this is a great one. This is a fantastic one. We had so much fun. I mean, we missed you, Jason, but we had so much fun. Yes, I was not uh, there for this. I was there in spirit, but really wish I could have been there for this. And who is this week's guest? Uh, it's the one and only Rosie O'Donnell. Man, we're good. Yes, this is a real Really good one. And, and you know, as we tell her in the interview, she was definitely part of the shortlist when we first started. We've been blessed to have everybody we've had on. They've all been fantastic. But Rosie really holds a special place in the Joe Allen canon for a bunch of reasons. Which you'll hear. Yes. Some really great stories about her connection to Joe Allen, the man, and Joe Allen, the restaurant. And just her connection to and throughout that whole Broadway community. She really is sort of the patron saint of Broadway. And uh, it was such a thrill that she would talk to us. So let's rock it out with Rosie O'Donnell. Rocking out with Rosie O'Donnell on Cocktails at Table 7. Inside New York's Joe Allen. A show that will sporadically post episodes in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know when they're going up, but it's the best I could do. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. The Five Star Podcast. Boom. So how's everything going at the restaurant? 
It's going well. They're all reopened now. And Joe's has been crazy, crazy busy. Really crazy busy. Once the theater came back, it was like old times. Excellent. People are showing up for Broadway, which I was worried that for a while that they were going to shut it down again, you know? And all my theater friends there, thank God some of them are crafty and they can make money on Etsy. But, you know, most of them, the vast majority, just, you know, shit out of luck for two years. You know, I was so devastated when everything was closed. I was so depressed in New York. I was like, what are we going to do? This is like the reason you're in New York for me is to go to the theater twice a week and stop at Joe Allen. I mean, that was my my thrill of of life. That was where I got all my endorphins. And, you know, my shrink sometimes would say, you know, you don't really cry in here very much. I'm like, well, take me to a Broadway musical and you will see many of the tears I should have shed in here. Oh, I feel like a kindred spirit. <laughs> I love when I hear them tuning up and I hear, you know, I just went to see Hamilton again in Spokane, which uh, friends I have li- who, who live there and they, they said, oh, it's Hamilton's closing weekend. I said, did you and your kids ever see it? She said, no. I'm like, let's go. Oh, and yeah. just I'm sitting there and there's a guy behind me, Mr. Know-it-all Hamilton saying, um, well, they put on a tape and then because you don't see any uh, musicians on stage in the original show, that's how they had a tape. I said, sir, there's no tape. There's no tape here. This is a road company, a sanctioned road company. There is an orchestra. Yeah, I know. You got to You got to police that. I I, I are you getting this information? (laughs) I couldn't help myself. Don't don't you be lying to the kids, you know? I I don't believe you. I I've found myself turning around in some of those situations and going, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're just, that's not correct. That's exactly. incorrect information. Where else, yeah. Where else the person was in, you know, she yes. was in, uh, yes. she originated the role of um, Effie and I'm like, no, she did it. That was okay. Jennifer Holliday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking credit for things that like, I don't know. I can't get in a fight with people at the theater. I have to watch myself because no one asks me when I give my advice. Like, it's not like somebody said, dear, what do you think about it? Straight <laughs> for the second row. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just go. Well, but if anyone has that information in their head, it would certainly be you. I did. I got it in my head. But speaking of your friends who are working on Broadway, we want to say a special thank you to Jen Cody. I love Jen was like our third guest. Yes. She's a regular too. She stops there all the time. She does. She asked yes. if I would give her a La Scala salad for hooking us up. I said she could have two La Scala salads. <laughs> <for her. laughs> I love the La Scala. I normally go for my Cajun chicken sandwich, but on the off day, I will definitely get the La Scala. Whenever we have guests, no matter how much that we are fans of them or how familiar we are with their work or what our feelings are towards them. It's always hard to figure out like, what's the first question to ask, but for you, we know. Yeah. And our first question is, can you please tell us about the great Cajun chicken sandwich scandal of 2002? Well, it was, uh, it was a big deal. I um, <laughs> went to my Joe Allen's as usual and there was no Cajun chicken sandwich on the menu. And I could not fathom that this had happened. And I said, you know, set it on the air. And then people started calling Joe Allen saying, put the chicken back on the menu. And Joe wanted to kill me. (laughs) Well, we had the TV on the day that it was that 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 episode aired. And you said that and our phone just went and there was an outcry from the public. And um, Joe brought it back. Thank you, Joe. May he rest in peace. 
Yes. That was uh, that was a tough one. He he always seemed like he would live forever, didn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. yes, stalwart kind of fierce kind of you know power on kind of guy. And um, but he was he was definitely mad. He said, you know, you almost ruined my love of restaurant touring. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I'm sorry about that, Joe. I just enjoy my uh, Cajun chicken sandwich. But it turned out to be such a blessing because he went, I remember, and I can't find it on, I've been looking on YouTube and you might have access to this video. I can't find when he came on your show. Oh, I'm sure we have it. I have, because he I put have on a, a nice, yeah. Yeah. He had a suit. Yeah. And a t-shirt under it, I think, but a suit. And, um, it was his birthday. It was his birthday. That's right. That's right. He, but he wasn't happy to be there. <laughs> Not like you know, <laughs> the guests who came on who were so thrilled and couldn't st- stop themselves from, you know, compliments and stuff. And not him. He was like, you ruined my life, O'Donnell. <laughs> you said something like, um, what happened? He's like, I, I don't know. And it will never happen again. <laughs> yeah, I loved him. He was a good guy. He, I stayed here years and years ago before my show. I stayed uh, at his apartment in Mi- Miami. He let us, uh, Sophie B. Hawkins and I were going to Miami and we were in the restaurant and Sophie and his, her family, her parents were friends with him. And um, so we went down and stayed at his apartment once. He was always very kind and, and very generous with me. Very lovely man. And he dated Cheetah Rivera, which makes him even better. <laughs> We had our top our short list three list of the three people we were like we have to get for a cocktails at table seven and the three people on that list are you Cheetah Rivera and Al Pacino and we have now had two out of three of the people on our list. Goddamn Al Pacino won't show up. We can't we can't get in touch with him. <laughs> but it was always lovely when you were there and they'd bring you the check and you just sign your name. Mm-hmm. It was like you felt like you were yeah. you know among some Broadway elite or something. It was a homey place. It was a homey neighborhood place in a way for all the theater people. You know, we would get out of doing a show or a day we have doubles. We'd run over to Joe Allen's, get something, see all the other people half in makeup. You know, there's something beautiful about going on a Saturday in between and you see people trying to get there and and beat the, the 730 curtain, you know. Do you remember your first time there or have a special like oh this time when this thing happened sort of memories well when i w- i used to go with uh bb newworth we were we would go after greece and she was doing chicago i think and we would go meet there and she would always have cookies and ice cream the mm-hmm. t- chocolate chip mm-hmm. cookies and super ice cream and I was always shocked that the skinniest person I knew, B.B. Newworth, <laughs> would always get the most decadent, you know, dessert. But uh, we would go there literally every Sunday night. I re- we had a standing date mm. that we would go there. We did it for the t- entire run that we were doing our shows. Oh, wow. We had the same, the same agent at the time, and that's how we became friendly. I always tell people that Broadway is the closest to the dream of Hollywood and show business that I had as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's the time where you really get a sense of the community mm-hmm. where, you know, people took care of each other and, you know, BCEFA and all of those Broadway Barks and Broadway Bear and, you know, all of those wonderful organizations that cared for the community that 
they were a part of, we were a part of. And I just think it, it, it is by far was the, the time I felt most satisfied with uh, what an artistic career means mm. and what mm -hmm. it feels like is, is Broadway. I mean, I think that shows in so much of the other work that you've done. I mean, Broadway Kids, that's an incredible thing that has been created and you're uh, the virtual, especially, I mean, you were the first, right. I don't know how you put that together in 10 days, but that virtual special for the Actors Fund right after the pandemic shutdown, I mean, I think your generosity is clear for your love and your love of Broadway. It's incredible. We have to thank you personally for your support of us during the pandemic as well. So, like, I think you there's a big thank you from all of us for your generosity and the things that you've created. Well, thank you. It's, you know, I felt a real strong uh, knowing that any success I would have would have to involve giving back. And my mother was very Catholic and St. Vincent de Paul, you would mm -hmm. put give your clothes and give you, you know, and, and we were raised with charity being fundamental, you know, and as, as part of your rent, you pay on earth, you know, mm -hmm. you have to, yeah. back, especially if, if you have luckily enough succeeded in the, in the way that I have, it's, it would be a, um, a sin if somebody mm -hmm. who went from, you know, having a, a lower middle-class childhood to whatever this level is that, you know, people aspire to that I'm in, you know, yeah. and um, without giving back, I, I don't know how much my success would have continued all mm -hmm. these years and years, you know, we're of the age I speak. I'm of the age more. I go back longer than Dana does. So I will say I'm, that I'm, right now. I'm a little but we're close. We're close. <laughs> and I, I remember so many different versions of, of you and your work. I go back to the whole like last season of Give Me a Break era. Oh my God. I didn't know when I was a kid and that show was on that Mel Carter was such a, uh, a formidable stage performer and singer. I knew her from Ain't Misbehaving. And, and so uh, I was very intimidated. I was at a comedy club and they were auditioning Dana Carvey for SNL. And I happened to be the next comic on. Wow. So I went on right after him. And then Lorne Michaels, Brandon Tarnikoff, and Cher, who were sitting together at the table, wow. came <laughs> yeah. over to me to talk afterwards. And Brandon Tarnikoff said, I want you to call my office. We have a part for you. And I, I thought it was going to be on SNL. because right, sure. Right? And it turned out it was on Give Me a Break. Was the stand-up spotlight after that? Was that, I'm trying to remember the, the timeline of the... It was sort of... Um, Let's see. It was Star Search 84, mm -hmm. Give Me a Break 86, and VH1 88. So, okay. so how did the two-year plan? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, I mean, we knew about Star Search, but we read that you were essentially discovered by Ed McMahon's daughter in a comedy club on Long Island. That and I'm, so a, I'm a Long Island girl, too. So, but like. Is that is that true? Because we read a lot of stuff on the internet. Completely <laughs> true. I was uh, like twenty one, and I was had dropped out of college or was twenty maybe. Let's see. I got there and I was eighty four. I was twenty two. So I was around twenty one, and this woman was at this local comedy club. I was just starting. You know, I was like the MC, 
And she came over afterwards and said, I'm Ed McMahon's daughter, Claudia. And I thought, yeah, right. Hmm. And she said, you know, my dad hosts the show. I go, everyone knows Star Search. It was only on for the first year with Sam Harris. I watched it every single week. And uh, there, she's like, we want you to be on the show. So I called and I said, you know, this is Rosie O'Donnell. I'm Claudia McMahon told me to call. Yes, we just wanted to know when you're available to fly in to do the show. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, I, and I went to Macy's and I bought a Willy Wear gray suit, light gray suit. Now, let me just tell you, it wasn't the best look. <laughs> I had like uh, definitely like a uh, mullet. I had kind of a mullety haircut like David Cassidy in the mm. 70s. And, and I won four or five times. And that was like you got twenty six hundred time dollars every time you mm-hmm. won and uh or 36 and 26 the time you lost and i walked away with like twenty four thousand dollars. but i was all wow. told and i remember thinking i'm rich you know and mm-hmm. i walked walked from my rented uh furnished studio in van nuys i walked into the dealership with all my cash and i ended up <laughs> getting the first car i ever bought Paid above sticker price. I got the winterization in fucking California. <laughs> <laughs> well, you grew and, up in Lo- on Long Island. Yeah, like, you were thinking well, you know, maybe there'll the, be winter here. Yeah, it was a stick shift and it had no air conditioning. And I paid full sticker price for that. They saw yeah, you coming with your with your they cash. Saw me coming. You were excited. <laughs> you were excited. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited. I walked out with a car. I didn't know how to drive. <laughs> Did you... Now, we know your love of theater, musical theater, but what what got what led you to stand up? Like what? How did that translate? What was the when I was uh, in in high school? There was a boy who's 10 year older brother. So he was like 27, 28, um, owned a comedy club in my town or the next town over. And after we did this senior folly show where we made fun of the teachers in a Mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live type review. He came over to me and said, hi, I'm Richie. I'm Craig's brother. And I think you'd be a great stand up. And I said, I don't want to be a stand up. I want to be on Broadway. And he said, well, this could be a way that you could get seen. So, you know, why don't you come down to my club and try it? So I was 16 years old, you know, and I went on and I all my friends were in the audience. And I was very funny because I was making fun of my friend circle. And there were 25 of them in the audience. So it looked like I was getting laughs. You know, I was getting laughs. But the other people who didn't know me go, what what the hell is she talking about? (laughs) And then Richie said, "Okay, want to come back tomorrow night? I said, sure. And that night was a school night and none of the kids could come. (laughs) So I went on and I bombed a horrible death, like a horrible death. And um then the next time I went on, I went on and I did Jerry Seinfeld's act. I saw I saw him on Merv Griffin. No one told me I had to write my own jokes. I thought Barbara Streisand doesn't write her own songs. Why do I have to write my own? I mean, jokes? that actually makes I understand. Yeah. That. Yeah. When you heard a joke, you just told the yeah. joke. But not only did I steal his joke, I stole his cadence and his <laughs> delivery. I was like, you know, so I'm thinking, hey. Dogs don't have pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Down the road and my car stalls. I open up the hood. What am I looking for? 
a big on-off switch, on-off. <laughs> I bet that, that went over really big. Well, and I walked out and I got really nice response. And the club owner, Richie, and his, all the comic friends came over and said, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? They're like, well, where'd you get that material? Like I was going to hide it. I said, Jerry Seinfeld. I saw him on Merv. He was very funny. Well, those are his jokes. I'm like, a joke is a joke. They're like, no, it isn't. And then Richie, instead of getting mad at me, said, why don't you be the house MC? And you can learn how to come up with your own material. You can see the other comics working. You can figure out how to make your set your own. And so he did. And he really helped me. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Have someone like just fully believe in you like that. I'm like, okay, let's let's just start. You didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, but they could have, you know, I didn't know. I was a 16 year old kid. How would I know that? The rules of, of stand up. It's not like there was an internet I could check. That's true. <laughs> That's right. was, you know, when you got to see a female comic on Merv or Mike, it mm-hmm. was a huge thing. It was usually Phyllis Diller or Tody Fields or a young mm-hmm. Joan Rivers or those were the ones that you looked up to and, and you thought, wow, that's, you know, interesting. But for me, I never wanted to be a stand up. So I never thought, oh, that's the way to go. I wanted to be Barbara or Bette Midler or Donna Murphy. I mean, (laughs) frankly, I wanted to be able to have a voice like Kristen Chenoweth and and her spunk and her vivaciousness. Like, you know, I would give anything to be able to open my mouth and sing like that. You know, I mean, I've, I've done a few musicals, but it's not for my vocal ability. How long were you, did, did you do like the road, the thing where you were like touring as a comic for a living for a, a while? Or was that like decades? I started at 16 and then I got a uh, star search when I was 22. So that's six years I was on the road there, but I was mostly on the East Coast. As soon as I did star search, I got to headline in the middle of the country because yeah. a lot of people watched it there. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have an hour of material to do. So that was kind of difficult. I'd have to like do a lot of talking to the audience and hope they were lively, you know, but um, it was definitely a launch of my career at a time when there were only three TV stations, NBC, CBS, and mm-hmm. ABC. There was no cable. There was no, let me look it up on YouTube. I, I follow some comics on TikTok now because they're able to put up little snippets of their act and you know, wow, what a, what an amazing thing to have as a way to do it when yeah. you're just starting out, you know? What was some of your first, like, material? What were the kinds of things that you were, were talking about? Talked about my family, uh, my father mm-hmm. being Irish, and I talked about, you know, like, when I was on Star Search, I remember I was trying to write a joke. I'm like, hey, I'm in California, man, and uh, my phone rang this morning. I had a, it was a waterbed. I had to catch a wave just to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Such a bad joke. I I did on TV because I was running out of jokes, but um, yeah. That's a very, that sounds like a total 1984 hit joke. That was a hit joke. Yeah, exactly. Our search, right? Where you had literally two minutes, you walked out there and there was a clock that said 120. 119, 118. And when you got to zero, if you were, they would just kill the mic. Sinbad was on there too. I remember at one point. Yes. He and I both lost the same year. Yeah. He's a nice man. Very nice man. I hear he had a stroke recently. Oh, I think it was Wayne Brady talking about it on his TikTok. Mm. I'm doing a series now for Showtime with Wayne Brady. That is not a comedy, which is interesting. He's such a great actor. Really remarkable in this American gigolo. I've been very happy to see you return to acting to the extent that you have. You know, you're able to kind of play these really 
substantial, interesting characters. You know, I always knew as an actor when I got to be in my 60s that I would work a lot if I was lucky. And, you know, like uh, Geraldine Page or mm-hmm. Colleen Dewhurst or these Irish women that are great character actors. And, and in their later years, they really got to shine. I mean, I don't know if you saw Louise Fletcher do her stint on Shameless. I remember watching that going like, that's exactly what I want to do. And I was lucky that I've been getting a lot of work and going from one thing to the next. And I'm, I'm very happy. I, I love that it's it's such a internal art form and, you know, so different than Broadway. <laughs> so it's like reverse. But um, but I love that I'm able to do it. And I'm I'm very grateful that I'm working now. I just have to say one thing. You came in to Orso one night when I was managing and the breaker went out in the back and the lights went out and you were in the back and the fans went down and all the smoke from the kitchen sort of wafted into the back. Oh, I remember that. And God bless you. You waited 40 extra minutes for your food. You didn't say a thing like, why is the room filling up with smoke? And eventually we got everything back on. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah. You know that, um, I usually used to go with to Orso with Nora all the time. Nora. Mm, yes. So it always reminds me so much of her when I go in there. It's been hard since her death to go there. It's I can see her sitting at that first table mm-hmm. right near the checkout where we always sat. She wrote that whole that, that the quote I love is like how, how can you be sad when there, you know, there's so much good bread? <laughs> that flatbread she loved. She talked about it a lot. <laughs> you know. Oh my God. There's so many things. There's so many things. We have to get to how the show came about. Yes. The Rosie O'Donnell show. Growing up, I also grew up on Long Island. I got to see your Broadway shows when I was a kid. I was very lucky. And I never. I, I was saying to Sean, I don't remember seeing Broadway on TV in the way that you brought it to people until your show came on. I loved it. And I actually wrote you a letter once. <laughs> I wrote you a letter asking if I could come on and sing. I was like, maybe I can be on Rosie's show because you had just had Julie Andrews on. I've never been around the restaurant when she's there. I've never seen her in person, but it's a dream Yeah, because I probably would just fall into a puddle on the floor. Well, do you know what happened when she was on my show? You know, she was one of the the ones in the Streisand category, mm-hmm. you know, like Julie Andrews. And she was sitting next to me and the crowd was cheering and I was talking to her, asking her a question. And she did this threw her head back what she does on the mountain, right? She did the same exact thing with her elbow up and moved her head up. And I was totally thrown (laughs) out of the show. And I was like, you are talking to Julie Andrews. And I had like a panic attack because I so wanted her to marry my dad and, you know, make uh, us clothes out of curtains and (laughs) just had to sing harmony. You brought back Broadway to the talk show environment. I know Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin. Right. Uh, and Mike Douglas, especially because I guess because he was in Philly. he could That's get right, because he was in Philly and people would go even in between shows or, you know, I've heard stories of people like they needed a guest. They would get off the, the stage at a matinee and get there by five o'clock or something. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty amazing. But, you know, Letterman did a little bit of Broadway towards the end, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it was such a formative thing in my life, such a, you know, so the reason that, that I became an entertainer 
I used to wait outside of stage doors and see all the actors sweaty and, you know, see all the people I just watched perform walk out doing their life. And I went, I can do this. I can yeah. do this for my life. Unlike Hollywood, which was like vague. And I mm -hmm. didn't know. I've never been on a plane. I had never been to California. I didn't know how to get to Hollywood or to make it in Hollywood. But um, I knew that there was a street in New York where you could go to do what I wanted to do. When so you, that's my goal. When, yeah, when you um, were putting together the show, was that like on your list? I want to have Broadway people on or was that part of the creation of it? I convinced them from the beginning that the only way it would work is if I got to have on things and people and stuff that I really loved. And so sometimes they would get mad and they would say, nobody wants to see, you know, um, Scarlet Pimpernel, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know it's not, it's not Les Mis, but let's support the cast and let's do what we can. But um, I wanted it to be a friendly, safe place that people could be entertained. Your show and the, the, the launch of sort of Disney's enterprises on Broadway they kind of crossed over. And so during the period you were on that show is when Broadway just blew up. Blew up. Yes, it totally did. Also for businesses, it was incredible. There were people coming into Joe Allen saying, is Rosie here? She sent me. I'm telling you, Rosie sent me. We're here because Rosie said we should see this. We should see the adventures of Tom Sawyer or we should, you know, what shows that we're not going to run forever, but that you right. gave... You, right. they, they lasted a little longer because you were such a great advocate. Maury Elston uh, gave me the original score of the original overture because he was so grateful that I talked so highly about Titanic and it kept the show going. People thought it was going to close and it actually won Best Musical and it was like a kind of a hit. It ran a while. Yeah, well, I thought it was great. I loved it. I cried. I was invested. I gave a shit, you know. Yeah. I also had notes, which is... <laughs> <laughs> to show I have notes and I want to tell them, but I didn't that time. Other times I've embarrassed myself and done that. We should talk about taboo as well. Yeah, I had had, you know, I had had a meeting with my accountant and they told me an absurd number that was me, you know, that that's how much money I had. And I was like, well, then I'm going to produce a musical. And I saw this musical in um, London in a tiny little theater in the basement. And I said to the owner afterwards, does um, Boy George ever perform in this? And they said he was in it tonight. I was like, what? They said he's playing Lee Bowery. I just didn't recognize him. And so we met and we became friendly. And I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get him to like me, which I think he ended up doing. But <laughs> it was not his MO. And he was also actively in his addiction at the time, oh. which made it difficult. But um, I had the greatest experience doing that. I loved it. I didn't understand any of the rules like I thought because it was all my money and I was the producer. I would get to direct sort of too, you know, like get on the mic and say people were like, what are yeah. you doing? You're not allowed <laughs> to do that. I'm like, I'm not allowed to do that. It's I'm the one who put up all the money. They're like, yeah, no, you can't do that. So, um, you know, I think we made a beautiful show and. John McDaniel just told me that he was doing um, a little scene of it for the, you know, the theater in the streets for the opening of summer. And he did, he had some of the original cast. And I think the show stands up and Stephen Sondheim, may he rest in peace, mm. said it was the most underrated musical he'd ever seen. Wow. Wow. Well, there you go. 
So we mentioned earlier our third person, Jason Woodruff, wasn't able to be here today, but he he did send a message. So I'd like to just read that to you right now because he had some things he did want to say. And so I'm just going to read that. So he said, uh, Rosie checked all my boxes over the years. Broadway cheerleader, Joe Allen aficionado. So much so we got the, is Rosie here? So often it almost drove us crazy, but was wonderfully appreciated. An early role model for gay parenting. I have a gay father and adoption, two nieces are all causes that parallel my own. And I wish to express many thanks for all she's done for the communities over the years. Sorry, I can't join you on this call as I wished to express this in person, but duty calls. And oh, yes, fuck that guy, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> go. So that, that was from that was from Jason and all important things to all of us, but him in particular. So, well, thank you, Jason. It's very sweet. Thank you so much. It's um, it's very interesting how, you know, being a gay parent has affected a lot of uh, people and people stop me and and tell me I never would have had a kid if I didn't mm. listen to my son or my you know, daughter or there was a gay boy. I was going to take my daughter to see um, a movie just recently. And we walked through a department store to get to the place in the mall, the theater. And this guy must have been 23 working there and he's walking his head was a little bit down he looked up he saw me he dropped all the shoes <laughs> <laughs> they were in boxes it looked like you know he dropped them i'm like what are you doing he's like i can't believe it's you he started that's crying. Sweet. that's really sweet and he told me about being gay and that he felt safe for that hour you know he felt seen and safe and 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 it's very very heartwarming it feels very um very good to have people say that to me so we're curious do you have a favorite flop well, all I knew is that when it happened, I said to Joe, you cannot put taboo on that flop wall. No matter what happens, if it goes down in, in one week and it closes, you can, I can't continue to come here and have my investment be on the flop wall while I'm trying to enjoy a Cajun chicken sandwich. So um, he said yes, and he never did. So I was happy for that. But I used to love looking at those. And I think everybody, you know, worked just as hard in the hits as they do in the flops. Mm -hmm. And it's why you did it. It's that. why you put it exactly. up there. And it's so true. It's so true. If it was a heartbreaking experience, you don't want to be reminded of it. Um, but for some people, it's fun. It's like, hey, look at them with, you know. Yeah, look at them with all those flops. Exactly. Right? <laughs> we had Matthew Broderick on. He's like, and I'm not on the wall and I don't know why. And I said, I think it's because your flops all ran too long. And he said, <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of shows people hated. They just ran too long. <laughs> <laughs> We have the same birthday, me and Matthew Broderick. March 21st, 1962. We're both the same exact age. When I was young and uh, watching like Entertainment Tonight, it would say like, today, Matthew Broderick's birthday. Mm -hmm. And I thought one day they're going to say, and Rosie O'Donnell. And mm -hmm. they did. There it, was you good, go. it was a good day for entertainment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we like to end with what we call our last call questionnaire, a la James Lipton and the actor's yeah. studio. So, you know, whatever comes to mind. First question, what's your drink at Joe Allen? Uh, a pint of Bass Ale. Do you still have Bass Ale? Not anymore, but, you know. We'll get something. Maybe we'll get it back. Get. Fat <laughs> no, Tire, I, I think we can have that. now. We have I like all kinds of beers, but that one was the one dark one that, that you guys had on we draft. did for a long yeah. time, yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I always wanted to be a school teacher. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm going to attempt it at 60, but I knew that if it didn't work out for me in showbiz, I would have taught school. I would have had to go back to college. And But um, I never wanted to have something to fall back on for fear that then I would fall back. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a, a safety net. I knew I had to just get to the end of the tightrope, you know? Mm-hmm. What live performance that you've seen floored you the most? Jennifer Holiday and Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm. Because the gong, you know, it goes gong, 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 and I am telling you. Well, the first gong, people stood up. Love it. The first gong. It was before. It was like, name that tune in one note. (laughs) Everybody got up. Oh, uh, that's amazing. The last person we talked to said the same thing. It's amazing. Yeah, the first gong. I never forget that. And, you know, she tore it up in a way mm. that was come to Jesus eight shows a week. You know, I, I don't know. I was very blown away by by that. And, you know, Hamilton. Hamilton remains my favorite musical mm-hmm. and probably will for my whole lifetime. Wow. I can't imagine something more perfect than that. Um, and I just thought it was epic and genius mm-hmm. and uh, couldn't wait to see it again. I saw it like every other weekend for like a year. Wow. Do you know how many times you've seen it now? In total? 33. <sighs> Crazy, but yeah, I will go see it. If I see it, there's a touring company I'll go see. And I, you know, I think how inspiring that show is and how it reminds you who we are as a nation and, and who we are as a people. Yeah. I mean, it certainly reminds you of how up the upheaval we've sort of not seen and now we're seeing now we're seeing sadly um but anyway so what's your favorite dish at joe allen as if we don't know cajun chicken (laughs) (laughs) and the and the hot fudge pudding cake is a close uh yeah that's a good one too but you know i also have gone to the la scala sometimes i get a la scala and potato Mm. now Mind you, that's very rare, but I have done it. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Totally. What the fuck are you doing? Like, it just gets your attention right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I do you just, find I as I the years go on, it comes out a lot more often than yes, it used to. Yes, I do. Actually, my <laughs> daughter says, Mommy, those are curses. I'm like, I know, honey, and you should never do them. <laughs> if you could invite anyone to join you for a perfect New York evening of Broadway and dinner at Joe Allen, who would you invite? I would invite Billy Porter. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Another person we would love to talk to. Maybe Jen Cody. <laughs> yes. Yes. Scholars all around. Yes. And lastly, pick one word to describe how you feel about Joe Allen, the establishments. I feel homey. Mm. It feels like home to me. I love it there. I love the way it smells. I love the way the place looks i love where the bar is i love the back little area i feel like you know i walk in there and i have no anxiety and that's what i like that's That's awesome that's what we like to hear yes so let's raise a glass to good friends great nights at the theater and cocktails at table seven cheers Cheers. fantastic thank you so much thank you so much i will talk to you soon Cocktails at Table 7 is produced by Jason Woodruff, Dana Mirlock, and Sean Kent.
with theme music by James Rubio and logo design and artwork by Christina D'Angelo. Special thanks to the owners of Joe Allen, Orso, and Bar Centrale Restaurants.